We're going to Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. You'll find that in page 930 in the Black Bibles. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant and those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that, from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. ...is found in Luke chapter 1 to be found on page 1026 of the Black Bibles. And it begins at 67, verse 67. After the birth of John the Baptist, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said long ago, through his holy prophets, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. For you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people 
the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. I should have introduced myself if I didn't at the start. My name is Scott, one of the ministers here. It would really help me if you could have your Bible open or keep it open at Luke chapter 1, so do that. Uh, if you'd be so kind, I'm going to pray we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great words. We thank you for this time of the year uh, and let us use it to focus on you. Amen. Anticipation is a common human experience, isn't it? Negatively, of course, we can dread things. We can dread the upcoming exam, the board meeting, the operation, uh, that social encounter, or even just having to get out of bed in the morning. We can dread that. That's sort of the apprehensive side of anticipation. Uh, but anticipation has got a positive side as well, doesn't it? Uh, there's a, an antis- a positive antis- anticipation when we see our, our sweetheart, our lover, or when we take delivery of the new car or the new puppy or going on holiday or even just getting to the weekend itself. I wonder what some of the things are that you have anticipation for, either positively or negatively. The first movie I ever remember seeing uh, was this weird documentary about catching a black marlin, completely random. got no idea what that was about. But my next movie memory was going into the city to the cinema with my dad and my brother to watch The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. I became an instantaneous Star Wars fan right away. And I still think there's nothing like those first batch of movies. And I was so keenly anticipating the release of the third movie, The Return of the Jedi, I didn't even notice how cynical was the timing of its release just before Christmas, just so that all the mums and dads would have to buy overpriced merchandising for Christmas presents. And my mum, she totally fell for the trap. She promised my brother and I that if we were good, she would buy us an action figure uh, after school broke up, like even before Christmas. And I got this guy. He's a biker scout. $5.65, 1983 prices. I remember my mum saying, $5.65, shaking her head. We're going to have to have sausages for the rest of the week. It's true, isn't it, when you're young, presents, but especially Christmas presents, they um, one of those things that you just anticipate highly. You know, what's under the tree? You shake the present, you give it a sniff. Do you remember doing this when you were a kid? You try to see through the wrapping paper. Maybe when your parents go out on a Saturday afternoon, you search through the cupboards, trying to find where they've stashed them. Truth is, the lead-up to Christmas is a time of anticipation for us all. Uh, In Australia, of course, Christmas coincides with the end of the school year, with the end of the working year, the start of the summer holidays. So there's an awful lot to get uh, ready for, to look forward to. But of course, it also means just the rush of getting ready for the day. And that's much more apprehension and stress than anticipation. But there's lots of reasons at this time of year to look forward And for Christians, we've even got a special name 
for this time of year. It's called Advent. And if you notice, the curtains change colours at Advent. Did you notice that? They're purple. Yeehaw. Uh, now, the word Advent, it is derived from a Latin, a Latin word which means Adventus. Fair enough. That means coming. That is the same word in Greek, that's a New Testament language, uh, that is parousia, which refers to the second coming or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the early centuries, this period of Advent was actually a time of preparation for baptism, just like we had this morning, just like we had last week. But by the sort of 6th century, Christians connected Advent with the coming of Christ. But the coming they had in mind wasn't actually his first coming. It was his second coming. Uh, Not in the manger in Bethlehem, but in the clouds as the judge of the world. And in fact, it wasn't until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was connected to Christ's first coming at Christmas. Now, if you don't know, the Advent season lasts for four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And it actually symbolizes us, the church, in these last days as we anticipate the return of Christ when he will bring in his eternal kingdom. And if you think about it, the church right now is in a very similar situation to the people of Israel at the end of the Old Testament, like we read about in Micah. Uh, They're in exile. They're waiting hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming of a Messiah. And they look back to God's gracious action in the past, at the time of the Exodus, when God freed them from Egypt and led them out unto himself. And on that basis, they were calling for God to act again for them. But in the same way, us, the church that is at Advent, we look back upon Christ's coming with celebration, but at the same time we're looking forward in eager anticipation at his uh, second coming when he returns to bring his kingdom for all his people. And this Advent season, we are looking with anticipation upon Jesus, our King. And he is so often lost or forgotten uh, in just all the looking forward to holidays and parties and presents But we are going to see in this period, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what the King brings. And the first thing we're going to see today is that Christmas is indeed about a King. And his name is Jesus. And that, of course, means he brings a kingdom. Christmas is about a King. And a King has to have a kingdom. Now, uh, you think about that. That makes logical sense, doesn't it? It's not hard to understand that in theory. But in our kind of... Uh, democracy we don't really connect that king equals kingdom if you go to the newly refurbished Warringah Mall you see donut king you don't see a donut kingdom do you there's no realm or domain of deep fried sweetness that is somehow controlled by the one donut who rules authority authoritatively over all other donuts doesn't come out and say these salted caramel ice things are mere imposters I am the donut king This is my donut kingdom. Of course that doesn't happen. But even more realistically, when we look at Queen Elizabeth or even Princess Mary of Denmark, our impression of them is that they're figureheads. We don't actually think they have a kingdom, an area, a sphere of control or authority. But to people in ages past, king means kingdom. If the king is in charge, it means he's in charge of the land, but it actually means he's in charge of us, you and me. And Christmas is about the coming of a king. His name is Jesus, and he has a kingdom. That is what the king brings. And so the question actually is, 
What is his kingdom like? If the King Jesus brings a kingdom, what is his kingdom like? Well, the answer from our readings today is that he brings a kingdom of peace. Christmas is about a king. King implies a kingdom. The kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Now, you think about peace, and I wonder if what first comes to mind is just the idea of tranquility. Gee, that looks good, doesn't it? Maybe it's um, just the kids or the grandkids aren't fighting. Maybe you can just get on with your work without having to negotiate a tricky relationship with your boss or customers or suppliers. Uh, We typically associate peace with quiet and often some kind of connection to nature springs to mind. You know, you have to go away to the bush for a bit or maybe you need like an island escape because you just can't get peace in the city. But for the first hearers of our first reading, the idea of peace in Micah chapter 4 is actually rest from fighting your enemies. It means you're no longer the plaything of the world's superpower of the day, whether that was Assyria back then or later Babylon, whether it became Persia or Greece or Rome, whatever. And rather than peace involving just getting out of the city... In Micah chapter 4, for them, it looked forward to the coming of a king who would bring in a kingdom of peace that would drag them all back into the city, into the city of Jerusalem, right into the very center of town, to the mountain of the Lord. That means where the temple was, the house of God, right there in the middle of the city. Oh, that would be peace, you see, when, when you could go to the temple in the city to learn about God without fear where God's justice might be dispensed and dispersed amongst the strong nations and where those from a little nation, like the Old Testament nation of Israel, they could be brought back from the brink of very extinction, where the exiles might be brought back to enjoy their own place. I wonder what you thought there when Justin was reading out Micah chapter 4 of that beautifully evocative image metaphor of returned warriors fashioning their weapons into farming tools beating their swords into plowshares beating their spears into pruning hooks because they would neither go to war nor train for war anymore they looked forward to farming their land rather than fighting their enemies well that's what peace meant to the first hearers of that first reading There wasn't anticipation for an island holiday, but for a return for the people to the land of Israel, to the very city of Jerusalem, under the lordship of God himself, where they could rest without fear of enemy and could learn about God. And yet at the time that Micah was written, it was just that. It was only anticipation and no more. Uh, Have a look at these verses from Micah chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 that was read earlier. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion, that's the word for kingdom, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. But then in verse 9, why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? And just in those two verses, you sense both the anticipation of a kingdom of peace. Oh, your former dominion, it'll be restored. Uh, kingship will come to Jerusalem. And yet you can also recognize that hope was elusive. Why do you now cry aloud? Haven't you got a king? 
I know you don't. You don't do. I mean, at least not one that's going to be able to deliver you from your enemies. Not one who could usher in a kingdom of peace. And so by the time we open our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, the second reading that Glennis read to us, and I hope you've got them there in front of you, where John the Baptist, who was really the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets, by the time he was born, the people of Israel were still living with that expectation of a coming king who might bring a kingdom of peace with him. There's a very real sense of Advent expectation. Have a look in your Bibles, verse 69. I want you to look in your Bibles with me. God has raised up a horn of salvation. That means a, a mighty salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He, as he said through his prophets of long ago, just like Micah, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. These words were spoken by Zechariah. He was the father of John the Baptist. As he looked at his newborn baby boy, he knew from a previous visitation by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 that this boy was indeed, as it says in verse 76 there, a prophet of the Most High, really the last of the Old Testament prophets. He knew that his son John would go ahead and prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the arrival, prepare the way for the coming king, prepare the people for what this king brings. And at least here in the very first part of Zechariah's song, there's this expectation that the king would bring a kingdom of peace. He, he, he would bring deliverance from the enemies, the Romans who ruled over them. He would bring salvation from the hands of those who hated the people of God in the land of Israel. There was still that expectation. Now, if you're born overseas, or even born kind of more recently, might not know this, um, but for at least one major Australian city, Christmas will forever be associated with destruction, and that city is Darwin on our northern border. Darwin, um, being on our northern border, always tends to cop it. <laughs> Unlucky. Uh, the largest single attack ever mounted by a foreign power was... Um, in 1942 in February when Japan bombed Darwin. But in Christmas 1974, Cyclone Tracy borne down upon Darwin and it devastated it. It was described as a disaster of first magnitude without parallel in Australian history. Its gale force wind killed 71 people. It caused the equivalent of $4.5 billion worth of damage in today's money. Again, I couldn't get my head around this. It destroyed... More than 70% of Darwin's buildings, more than 80% of Darwin's houses, more than 41,000 out of the 47,000 inhabitants of the city were left homeless on Christmas Day. Most of Darwin's population had to be evacuated to Adelaide. That sucks. Or Alice Springs, joking. It's a great place to go for a weekend, isn't it? You know that most never returned to the city of Darwin. So that's Darwin, at first associated with enemy invasion, but that Christmas associated with quite a different threat. Or to put it another way around, in 1942 it needed peace from the hand of their enemies. Christmas 1974, it required a different kind of peace. 
And we actually see a very similar transition here in Luke chapter 1, where John the Baptist's father mentions salvation on three occasions. Have a look, verse 69, verse 71, verse 77. But there is a transition from salvation from enemy hands to salvation from God himself. There is a movement from peace, from fighting with other nations, towards peace with God himself. You see, at the beginning of Zechariah's speech, he's talking about peace, deliverance from enemies. But by verse 77, the salvation that he mentions is the peace you can only know when you have your sins forgiven. And friends, that is the only way that you and I can serve God, as it says in verse 74 and 75, without fear and with righteousness. That can only happen if God does something for us and brings peace to us through the forgiveness of our sins. We cannot serve God out of our own sense of righteousness. That's called self-righteousness. It's a very ugly thing. But we can only approach him, be in his presence through the forgiveness of sins that came about when this baby, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into our world. That salvation can only happen because God is characterized by tender mercy, verse 78, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to a saving knowledge of his magnificent son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only available because in his tender mercy, God gave us his glorious son, S-O-N, to be, as it says for us there, the rising sun, S-U-N, in the darkness and the ignorance of our own lives and rebellion against him. Friends, that is why Jesus came at Christmas time. This is what we celebrate at this time of year, that God sent his son, as predicted by prophets like Micah, as primed by the ministry of John the Baptist, the little baby that was spoken of today, to be a rising sun for us, to show us the way to be at peace with God, through the forgiveness of our sins of willful rebellion where we know what we're doing is wrong, through the forgiveness of our sins of indifferent uh, or ignorance where we don't even realise that we're fighting him and failing him. And those things form a barrier to right relationship with him. Don't you understand the kingdom of peace that this King Jesus brings? It's not a geopolitical nation that you travel to. It is a restored relationship with God that you can enter into right now that lasts for all eternity. Only because Jesus came to us, then walked among us, then died sacrificially for us, Removing that barrier between us and God that is caused by our sins, whether they are willful and rebellious or ignorant and indifferent. Which is why it becomes of me to say to you, if you just settle for a week or two of tranquility in the Australian bush or lying on a lounge next to a clean pool on an island escape, or you settle for just a little bit of time with happy kids or a great family function, you are missing out on the most important peace of all, which is peace with God through the forgiveness of sins that only comes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever wondered, maybe after Christmas parties, maybe just at the end of busy weeks or even just when you're lying in your bed at night and you can't get to sleep, you ever wondered, am I can I really be right with God? 
Am I actually good enough for him? I just am not sure. You ever had that restless spirit where you, you've thought, I've been ticking things off my list, but it never feels like I'm really at peace. What you got on the table here, folks, is the offer of peace with God. It only comes through his son. And if you settle just on relaxing by the pool, you are missing out on the most important thing. And that is what this king brings. He brings peace with God. And maybe this Advent season is a time for you to discover or anticipate or rediscover peace with God. A restored relationship with him that begins now and will in fact last forever. You'll have noticed um, during the reading, and you'll notice it now, at the end of that passage there in Luke 1, the rising sun, that's Jesus, who sent to us from heaven, not only guides us into peace with God through the salvation of our sins, but he guides us into the, a path of peace. Did you see that? A path of peace that becomes a way of life, the way we walk. And that, of course, means because we know peace with God, we pursue peace with one another. Isn't that kind of one of the classic catch cries of the season? Peace on earth, goodwill to all mankind. Uh, Isn't that that famous story where even the Brits and the Germans ceased fire? Christmas Day 1916 had a game of football between each other. Peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. You know the police will attend 150 incidents of domestic violence on Christmas Day. 150. It's about one every 10 minutes. Apparently from 3pm on Christmas Day, the phone lines at the uh, Rape and Domestic Violence Service go mental. They say alcohol and money worries and family tensions form this perfect storm that leads to this spike in violence. Gentlemen, I think we might need to refashion these weapons into objects of productivity. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all men. What hope is there of that if we can't even keep our own women and children safe, hey? I get, um, I totally get the money thing. You know, it, gee, it costs, doesn't it? And the family tension thing is pretty, it can be very tricky to navigate. I can't but help think all of that wouldn't happen quite so badly without the alcohol, would it? Now, lads, I enjoy a cold beer. I love a cloudy pale ale, but I can have just one or two without it becoming seven or eight or ten or twelve. And I think that if you can't, then you are better off to not start with the one or two. Don't you think? Did you read that article in, uh, by Peter Fitzsimmons in last week's Herald? He was talking about how he, I mean, you know, rugby buffhead, talk about how he gave up alcohol. And he mentioned the health benefits, but the main benefit he so eloquently put in his... Uh, characteristic way and he said without grogging you you are much less often a bad tempered jerk well man you may not become violent but if you sense that alcohol makes you a jerk then i would say you need to square up to it now would be a good time and you should take action i would be prepared to walk with you in that regard not even going for the one or two during this whole season of advent right up to christmas day Because the welfare of our women and children is way more important than my enjoyment of a cloudy pale ale. And if that would help you, then you just send me an email. It's on the back of the bulletin, my email address. Of course, it's not just the lads here who might need to change. Oh, by the way, 
If your particular gentleman is away on dads and kids camp and he needs to hear this, you send him a link to the podcast. But it's not just the boys here who might need to change, is it? Uh, we know that the number of young women routine getting, routinely getting blind drunk is not that different to the number of young men. And we know the number of women aged between 35 and 59 drinking at harmful levels has actually doubled in the last 20 years, according to results released by the University of New South Wales this very month. If you need help, then I would suggest you get it. It's good to square up to these things. And of course, it's not just alcohol that gets in the way of pursuing peace, is it? The bare truth in most relationships, not all, but most relationship tension, is that we're a part of the problem, right? If we're in the relationship, if we're a part of the situation, we're going to be a part of the problem. It's just human life, let's be honest. And if, as people who know peace with God, we're going to walk along paths of peace, then it might be a starting point for us to mentally calculate that we're at least 50% of the problem in most cases, and probably even more than that. I commend making that mental readjustment in your mind from justifying why you are right to admitting that you are wrong, at least in part. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be right or would you rather stay together? Don't tell me that you would rather win an argument and lose a friendship. I don't even want to hear it. If we know peace with God, it so becomes of us to pursue peace with one another. Where that is in any way an option available to us. Friends, let me commend that to you. That's a bit heavy, isn't it? Let's have a chuckle to get through it. Now listen, folks, um, when Max and I were uh, putting together this Advent series, one of the things we were so keen to do was to not major on what we ought to do. You know, even things like pursuing peace, important and good things as they are. Uh, Partly that's because through the whole commitment series, there was a lot of stuff about what we ought to do as committed Christians. Lots of good stuff to do, you know, like getting stuck into the word and prayer, that's good to do. Uh, Being involved in the community, pursuing holiness, generosity, getting our sleeves rolled up as we undertake service, accepting the cost of following Christ rather than arranging our whole lives for comfort. All good things to do, but you see... What Max and I were so keen was that we actually sit in the season of Advent and sit in the anticipation, the anticipation of a coming king, a coming king who brings things to us. And so I actually want to finish not with what we do for him, but of course what he has done for us in coming to us, in living as one of us, then dying for us before rising again for us to guarantee not just peace with God, but peace for eternity in heaven you see friends there is something about our situation that is so similar to the people of God before the arrival of King Jesus with all that he brought don't you get we're still waiting we're waiting for him to come back we we still live in anticipation of all that will come we're still awaiting a day when the peace we experience with God will be complete where conflict and tension will not be a part of human relationships either, where there will be no more pain or tears, but there will be perfect peace. Sit in this time of Advent, this time of anticipation, but as you sit in it, don't just kind of look back to the coming of Jesus in the manger. Don't just enjoy the paths of peace that were opened up by his earthly life and his death and resurrection. 
you want to do this time well, then you actually have to look forward to his return when the king will bring in a complete, perfect, final and full kingdom of peace. And my friends, that really is something worth anticipating. It really is something to wait for. It's something to want for. It's something to long for. And it's something to live for. Why don't you pray with me? And uh, we'll pray that we can do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Advent. Season of anticipation and waiting. We both look back at the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly life and then his death and his resurrection for us that opens up pathways of peace. It's so good to be at peace with you, Lord to be in that right and restored relationship with you and yet we look forward to the return of Jesus when he comes to bring in his kingdom of peace in all its fullness and finality and Lord in the rush and the busyness and the stress and the tensions of this season help us to see that with beautiful and wonderful clarity pray these things in Jesus name amen